In a world of magic, mythical heroes, savage beasts, and servants of the dark powers, one couple will regale us of the tales of their journeys through the mortal realms. Coming this season to a path of glory near you, this is the Dudes of Sigmar. Welcome to the Dudes of Sigmar. I'm David. And I'm Roma. Hey, dude, can we chat? I'd love to chat, but first I want to chat with our guest. My name's David, formerly known as the Everwinter Champion. Wow. David just got right into it. That's great. I love it. Listen, I heard you talking smack a few nights ago. Oh, no. And yeah, absolutely. I have to come on to defend myself, my title, and my cows. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We didn't even wait. There was no pause. There wasn't a build up to it. No. We just got straight into it. Yeah. So Just just, like the cows. Just like the cows. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's how they play. So a couple of podcasts ago, I remember saying that, because David and I have played... um, his cows twice and the first time was learning and yeah got wiped out second time was a little better and then I thought you know what I've I think I figured out David's cows and then I think Damon made a few comments what did you say Damon don't pit this on me you walked right into this on your own thank you very much so anyways uh yes so I I actually do think I have the cows figured out so when David heard the podcast what did you think David oh I I thought that uh, I had to prove you wrong. That's what I thought. I there's you did not figure them out. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, yeah, that I mean, ultimately speaking, that is the strength of the the Beast of Chaos book in general, and what I love about it is how weird and strange it is, and how many of the rules it either ignores or uses in weird phases. Right. Um, I mean, you discussed it last time. The first time that we played, we, we acknowledged it right at the get-go. This is a learning game yes. because there's so much to explain about this army for you to actually understand what's happening. Exactly. You need to see it in action. Yes. So, oh, go ahead, David. And while we're acknowledging things, let's acknowledge that today we're talking on the traditional territories of the Klele Tanay. Great. Thank you. You remember the land acknowledgement. Very important. So I just want to go back a little bit to where... Um, when I wanted to play your cows, uh, when we were in the league, I saw that you had beat, like you won, ev- you beat everyone. You were top dog. You beat, you won every single game. And I thought, my God, what's up with this David person? I don't really know him, but he sure is kicking ass. And then I thought, how would I ever play him? Because unless I played him the first game randomly, because you won every game and I didn't, I would never have played you. So then on the chat I was like hey who would like to play and then you just jumped in there and said do you want to play some cows and I said yes I would love to yeah um speaking of the the Everwinter League it, it, the league actually took place over several months and I weirdly enough the cow the the Beast of Chaos book actually got re-released halfway through the league um and in in a lot of ways it was purely due to the courtesy of my opponents that they allowed me to use the new book. I, I checked in with everybody. I gave them the list and had a thorough conversation with them uh, because changing books halfway through that event is kind of a faux pas. But everybody was cool with it, including Josh, so I did get to play with this very new, very weird army. Poor Devin was kind of my guinea pig for the cows, and his poor Lumineth suffered greatly at their hands. Um, 
but yeah, it was uh, it was very strange transitioning from two very different kinds of power from the old Beast of Chaos book to the new Beast of Chaos book. Oh, what was the difference? What was the big difference that you noticed? So for one, the old Beast of Chaos book was very old. I think it was almost three years old by the time it finally got replaced. And as a result, the rules didn't really get updated. Instead, the points cost just kept dropping and dropping and dropping to the point that the board was flooded with models. Ah, okay. The summoning mechanic was also very poorly tuned for modern points costs. And so you could very aggressively summon vast amounts of models. Then when the rules finally did get updated in a White Dwarf update, the army suddenly got a very secret sauce that it was missing, um, Rend. The Herdstone, instead of reducing your opponent's save while they were close to it, just gave you a massive army-wide Rend buff that then doubled up on turn three. Was that in the, I didn't realize that was in the White Dwarf. That was a White Dwarf update. Um, the other thing the Herdstone did was it used to make you immune to Battleshock, which was a good rule um, within range of the Herdstone. But then it also it changed into a four plus rally for everything. Um, as a result, the army went from having a absurd amount of garbage units to an absurd amount of powerful units because you slap a bit of rend on something that's kind of mediocre, right. it suddenly becomes really good. Wow. Um, and then again, the four plus rend took what suddenly became a good book to the levels of absurdity. My original list had 24 bulgors scattered into four units of six. Did you ever muck around with the dragon ogres? I heard they were like really good in the old book. I never did. Um, our buddy Desmond actually owns a Dragon Ogre army, um, beautifully painted. Uh, of course. <laughs> it's incredible. Every time he grabs, puts his hands on an army, he does something new and amazing with it. I cannot admire his creativity enough. Exactly. Shout out, Des. Ronin Nation. That's right. And uh, so I never really got my hands on the Dragon Ogres, um, but my army was usually, my, my original Beast of Chaos army, which not to belabor the point, was actually also a gift from Desmond. Um, <laughs> creative and generous. Um, it was a gift from him when I originally started kind of looking at Age of Sigmar, and he'd had the beast, this Beast of Chaos army, which was just gores, best of gores, ungores, the, the usual riffraff, and he wasn't intending on playing on it, and he very generously donated it to me. Um, so my original list was very much just waves of gores, ungores, best gores. So we have Des to blame for this? You absolutely do. This is Desmond's fault. Des, oh my gosh. Through and through. He started me on this path. <laughs> <laughs> well, your army is very beautifully painted. Um, yes, so it's been great playing with you. We've had, you know, we've been testing out different armies. and But now we're back to the cows. We are. And so we posted this on the chat. And David said, I'm ringing my belt. And then we got into this whole belt conversation, which I don't even know how that started. <laughs> but all I thought was, I've got my little trophy in front of me that says the Everwinter League best sport. David's got his his belt for best general, best overall, best everything in the league. So this is going to be really interesting. So the story behind the belt, from what I understand, is that it is going to have... So it's got this massive plate over the gut, as all wrestling belts do, which has the Everwinter League engraved upon it. And then every person that wins the league is going to have their name engraved on the side permanently. 
and the idea is that every year this belt is going to change hands and as a result it's going to have everybody's names on it and a little bit of their mojo this is how magic art arcane artifacts are created artifacts of power it's a beautiful belt it's like, so shiny oh my goodness yes it's so it's shiny so do you have where do you have it at your house do you have it hung up do you have it um, sitting on top of your table <laughs> where do you have it i have it uh placed carefully uh in perfect view of uh of my bed and hung up on a closet because I have a very large dog who I do not trust within range of the belt. Um, Your dog is very cute. I saw that picture. He's <laughs> adorable, but he's also 125 pounds and <laughs> yeah, fairly large. He doesn't jump on the tables. He accidentally steps onto them. So <laughs> I have to keep the belt away from him so that somebody else has something to inherit. <laughs> and do you keep your army nearby? Near the belt? Yes. No, my armies are, are stored uh, in, in boxes ready to go at a moment's notice, very tidy, very uh, ready to be deployed. So one of the things that came up in the chat was that I have to make some kind of video, kind of like a, hey, yes, let's, let's duke it out. Let's have this battle. Yeah, and, and a challenge video. Yes, a challenge video. So do you think I need to do a challenge video? Absolutely. Okay, all right. Well, that, that's another reason why I need to buy a bit of time before we play, because I need to do this <laughs> challenge video. So I have to think of some ideas for this. I think this is going to get very interesting. We were talking about this. We've got some ideas. We were looking at, like, masks on ref, uh, Mexican wrestling sites. So <laughs> Were you really? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't tell you about that. I've been, I've been scoping out some Oh, options. no. <laughs> <laughs> See, what we need to do is we need to take a photo of the two of us with our arms clasped, yes. making very intense eye contact. <laughs> yes, we do. That's right. Actually, isn't it the look that I gave um, Matt? What did we call that? Look right into his soul or oh, something? Yeah. Yes, that intense look I gave him. We could do like those nose to nose Vegas boat things. That's right. You know, like that's the, right. The big stare down with the poster and yes. absolutely. Okay. All right. Does that mean we're about to go visual? Is this going to be a recorded game that we're going to put on the internet? Um, I don't know. We could just come <laughs> up with some ideas for this. This could be really interesting. <laughs> oh my goodness! So I'm pretty excited. Mm -hmm. I'm like ready to do this challenge video and let's get this do. Let's get this on. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, it's also interesting because I'm kind of eager to play with the cows again. I actually had a small RTT that I played with them uh, shortly after the book released, I think a few weeks later. And they did really well. I, I won first, not to be humble about it. And David wins all the time. I do now. I didn't used to. <laughs> David wins. From what I know about David. <laughs> you David you met me. And that's why I wanted to play with you. I'm like, David wins a lot. What's going on here? You met me in the upper swing, uh, in the upswing of my of my capabilities. Um, to kind of, uh, you had Conan on a few weeks ago, and when he was teaching me to play Age of Sigmar, I think I lost about seven or nine games to him straight without without a win in between. And, and it was usually the same pitfall that he kept finding in my army. He'd find a way to sneak the, the, the loon boss on Mangler Squig, which at the time that we played was incredible. And so he'd always find these little pockets, find an elite unit of mine that he wanted to destroy, obliterate it off the table, and then with the command trait, bounce to safety and be essentially untouched. Oh. And as a result of half a dozen consecutive losses, I had to learn to be very good at screening so I didn't just lose the game. Wow. You know what? That's really impressive because you took a number of losses and came up with, you know what, this is what I need to do to win. 
and and I'm looking over at dude, and it always comes back to this. So, dude, there's a good learning there. So I will say this as well. I was not always a good loser. This is a bit of an anecdotal story. About 20-odd years ago, uh, in the halcyon ages of Warhammer fantasy battles, there was a uh, North American campaign called the Battle of Three Bosses uh, that Games Workshop hosted. And so they had these three beautifully converted orc war bosses, and every game you played in a store, you would dedicate to one of them, and eventually one of them would win. So eventually, at the Oakville Battle Bunker in Ontario, Oakville, Ontario, um, which was the HQ of Games Workshop at the time in North in Canada, they had the final mega battle. And this was a 40-foot-long table. They slammed a bunch of tables together, threw in a little bit of terrain, and the idea was you would join one side or the other, and it was a breakthrough-style mission. You'd go from one end to the other. Now, I was about... 11, 12 years old at the time, and I had my little squad of orcs that I'd barely gotten legally based in time. There, I think I'd literally dry brushed the little black bases they'd come on with some gray paint to let the store manager allow me to play. And I spent five or six hours there trying to get from one end of the table to another over and over again, and I kept losing. On the other side of the table, there was a gentleman who was playing wood elves, and he would essentially roll them out mow down somebody, get destroyed by a charge, and redeploy. Final turn of the game. I was one turn's movement away from making it off the table. He lost his wood elves. He was about to pack up and head home, and he saw an opening. He put them in front of my orcs, and in a single round of shooting, wiped them out. And oh. I bawled my little eyes out. Aww. And, and... If you read the White Dwarf article describing the battle report, they make mention of the orc player reduced to tears by the cruelty of a wood elf. Really? Yeah. And that was you, David? That was oh me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, the, challenge video, the challenge video is going to be harder to make now. <laughs> to be fair, David, you were 11 and I'm 50. <laughs> Fair. That wasn't the angle I was going for, but fair enough. You know yourself. Everybody knows Damon. But no, it took, um, the thing is, is it took me a lot of loss. I learned through loss and I had to accept that about myself. And it made stomaching losses easier when I knew the point wasn't to win, the point was to learn. Exactly. When I first got a grain, and again, this was kind of um, tailing off of a point that you made when you were discussing um, get being in the hobby as an adult. Um, as a teenager, your finances are limited. Mm-hmm. You're getting a box for Christmas, a box for your birthday, yes. and that's it. So you have to make the most of what you have. Yeah. Because you can't just go out and buy a whole new swath of units. And so when I got my hands on a new army, either because a friend gave it to me or something like that, I sat down and lost, I think with my Grey Knights when I first got them, 11 games in a row to learn how they worked. Wow. Back to back to back. I mean, and and sometimes it's what you have to do to learn something. It's what I have to do, let me be clear, to learn something. Actually, same for me. Um, That's why the more armies that I play and when I lose, I think of it as, wow, that was a great learning. And that's what I've been doing with the more games I'm playing and same with playing against you. I mean, I've been having a lot of fun playing and learning and... And that's why I thought, hey, I've got the cows figured out. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want to uh, give like big props to you, because when you heard that David won, you're like, I want to go fight the toughest son of a bitch in the league. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to fight that dude. He's going to kick my ass, mop the floor and like take my beer and go home. (laughs) I, 
Like I gen- when you said no, I want David. I want a piece of him. I'm like, don't do, don't do it. He's gonna, he's gonna murder you. And you're like, yeah. That's how I learned. <laughs> so absolutely. I, like I really like. I'm running away for David, and you're running at him and hassling him. <laughs> and now you're like challenging. So I just want to applaud you and your tenacity in, in going after the tough matches where, you know, I'm trying to pick off the low hanging fruit and, <laughs> you know, try and play Ray back to back because I think I might have a chance. <laughs> oh, <dude. laughs> Ray, we love you. <laughs> oh, thank you, dude. That was very sweet. But yes, um, that is what I was checking the scores. I was looking at what David's list was. I was like, David's really good. David's got a great list. David's winning. David won. That's awesome. I love it. And now I'm so excited that I, I've been playing you and I get to play you again with and the cows. Absolutely. They're coming. They're making a comeback. So the, the point I, was, I think I made earlier briefly was they just got nerfed. Um, their points cost went up oh, yes. fairly, fairly, fairly high. Um, I think they got, they went up like 20 points per block of three. And I think the Doom Bull went up a couple, about 15 or 20 points as well, which to be totally honest, in the grand scheme of things means I get one less unit of Ungor Raiders in my army, which I don't think is going to be game breaking, but nonetheless. I was figuring you were going to do that with the point change. Damon and I were talking about that and I thought, hmm, he might. But then you've got so many shots with how many Raider, Ungar Raiders you have. Yeah. It won't be too significant a change. I don't think so. Um, and again, the, the, the extra Ungor Raiders are nice. But they weren't really the linchpin of the army. No. It was always the yes. absurd destructive potential of the cows. Yes, absolutely. So I have changed my list. And I will be sending you my list before we play. I've changed it up a bit, not too drastically. Is it all dragons? Bit. No. As you see the dragons ah. in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I have a tray of models beside me, and I'm like, there's some very nicely painted dragons on there. <laughs> There's some dragons there. There's some dragons over there. It just seems like they're everywhere. Yes. Yes. I do have a dragons list, but I don't think I'm going to play the dragons list. I do have to Mm -hmm. think through a couple more things, but I do have some ideas that I think um, I'd like to play with. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. All right. So, David, now that we know that we're playing, this is on, we'll pick a date, we'll pick battle plan. Yeah. Do you have any ideas for a battle plan? No. Surprise me. Surprise you? Throw me for a loop. Okay. I'll pick a couple and then we can do a pull a number or something. Sounds good. Uh, adaptability is, is a skill that I worked very hard to, to get to. Because yes. uh, I'm not one for studying. I will never have an encyclopedic knowledge of this game. But I pride myself on my ability to adapt to situations. Excellent. Uh, so on that point, Roman and I have talked about prepping and practicing. And mm-hmm. Like do you Wahapedia? Like how familiar are you with your opponent when you go in for your average game? I'm not. I'm usually not um, for a couple of reasons. For one, I find that I learn a lot better by doing and seeing than I do by reading. I can read that a bloodthirster does four mortal wounds to everybody within eight inches of it when it rolls a six to wound. I can read that you can give it plus one to hit or plus one attack from a source. But until I see that in action, that means nothing to me in my brain. It's just unconnected data. And um, it doesn't always roll that way. And that mm-hmm. is just going back to Damon dude here. When you're thinking that this is what my list is going to, until you practice it, 
and see how it actually works, it's usually a little different. Yeah, when uh, I played Conan the other day with his three um, teleport infiltrating spiders, giant mm-hmm. spiders, he's like, well, you didn't really need to, to block out that much space. I said, yeah, I know, but I couldn't picture in my mind mm-hmm. how much surface area that, like, I, I can read, I can look at what size base that is. We got those bases kicking around. Mm-hmm. But until they sat on the table, I couldn't figure out what that looked like. So having played a game now, I know that I don't have to screen quite as aggressively. Right. But like you said, some things you just have to see that the the words on the page don't do it justice. Exactly. Um, I think it's also important for that kind of thing to note that um, looking at that kind of army across the table from you, you don't really understand how those various parts are going to come together. Um, But now I would also say that that's where playing with intention is very important. Mm -hmm. When you tell your opponent, my intention is to screen out those spiders, you deploy your army and you explain to them what you've done and say, is this sufficient? Have you been screened out? Now, you could always have the beardy opponent says, oh, yeah, absolutely. You did great. That worked perfectly. And then you sun, they, they go, okay, cool. It's my turn. Actually, you missed a corner, and they drop the spider in anyway. <laughs> that happens. Yeah. People are people. You can't assume all of them are going to be pleasant. Right. But that's where playing with intention, I think, is very important because that gives your opponent an opportunity to communicate with you. Um, and potentially, I think that's actually one of my greatest weaknesses as a competitive player. Um, I personally loathe gotcha moments i hate them they're my least favorite moment i've experienced them and they made me feel horrible my opponents have experienced them and i felt terrible when they went through with them so i painstakingly over explain my army which i don't think i should be doing as much as i am because one that takes away from some of the strength of the army which is how unorthodox it is Mm -hmm. and two it also um overwhelms my opponent with information that I think is important, but that might not be important at all for them, and it just confuses them. At a certain point when I'm getting all this information being a newbie, and it probably applies to people who aren't newbie who've been playing for a while. Absolutely. It just goes in through one ear and out the other. I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to have to play. Because yeah. I, I heard some of it, but I didn't hear it all, and I couldn't register. And Plus, I'm already thinking about the battle, and I'm thinking about the battle plan. Right. And I'm trying to think about what I'm going to do, where I'm going to deploy, right. so I don't always hear everything. So that's why playing a, the same army a couple of times is really helpful. Mm-hmm. I would agree that um, I've, I've met players with new armies for the first time, usually like at LVO. Um, Oh, that one dude that I played. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the dude from uh, the Russian dude with the um, with the sons of Bayamet, uh The um, oh, the big centaur dude. Kronspine. Uh, yeah, no, Kronspine and Kragnos, Kragnos, both. And I had never played any of those. Yeah. And to his credit, he explained them very thoroughly, but in a loud room, and just mm-hmm. he gave me to. And again, in his favor, he was trying to avoid those gotcha moments. He told me everything. But after about, I don't know, the the, the fourth unit rundown, it was like, wah, 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 wah. I'm like, okay, dude, let, let's just throw dice. And if, yeah. you, if you got gotcha me at this point, that's on me, not on you. A hundred percent. And when you mentioned things like playing with intention, that was actually one of the things that Damon taught me when I first started mm-hmm. playing was always check with your opponent to confirm. I'm trying to screen you out. Did I succeed? Did I succeed? And so I thought, you know what? That's really good, and it's really helpful. You just talk to your opponent. 
Yeah. That's great. Absolutely. Um, and again, some people appreciate that. And for some people, it unnecessarily slows the game down and they don't want to have that back and forth. They want you to do your thing and they want to capitalize on your mistakes. Yeah. And that is, I don't want to say an invalid play style. It's not as enjoyable for certain. And I don't think it happens in Age of Sigmar quite as often as it does in games like 40K. But it's good to be aware of. Yes, absolutely. Wow. So I guess that's my counter question to you is, do you think that I over-explained my cows? And how would you suggest I do so? Explaining that army that does so many weird things succinctly. I think the way you did it was great. And that was really helpful. I think I just needed to, once you explained it all, which was great, I think that was good that you did explain it. And I remember you mentioned that, you know, you could almost hand someone a little card. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of doing is actually publishing a little flashcard to be like, hey, this is what the cows do. In bullet points, like just keep these things in your mind if you need to, to remember. Yeah. And, but just playing was really helpful. Exactly. That's what I tell a lot of people. My least favorite game with the cows is the first one. Yes. Because you don't know what's happening. And it's so hard to explain that. I remember when you said, do I even need to put my models on the table? (laughs) Should we just do the first rolling and see what (laughs) happens? That was funny. Schrodinger's cows. That's right. Um, You know, when I was thinking about that, because I, I think I was sitting around for the first game. And uh, for me, if some things that I would want to know from your army is that one of them can come in within seven. Because mm-hmm. that that's really outside the norm mm-hmm. that you can teleport and come in off nine. I'm like, that, I don't think that's as damaging mm-hmm. as the seven-inch charge. It's a five-inch charge. Okay, even worse. <laughs> <laughs> See, glad I glad I yeah. yeah yeah glad yeah. I paid attention and did this episode. Uh, this is all prep for the doubles tournament. <laughs> so now he's running away even further from <laughs> David. <laughs> David's down the hill. No, um, no, no. You take it on the chin. That's how you beat this army. I don't. After, I mean, other. I mean, the shooting thing, like you can shoot up. I don't think that's maybe the move. The the pull. Yeah, is maybe the other potentially hurt feeling thing but i don't Mm -hmm. think anything else is like i mean it's different and it's relatively unique which makes it interesting but yeah i think the the deep strike the short deep strike and maybe the pole would be the Mm -hmm. the other interesting piece is looking across the table and not seeing a uh yeah yeah when you said that i'm thinking well what's that going to feel like it's weird (laughs) it is very strange to look across at an it, it is strange telling my opponent very good turns yours i'm just gonna wait i have yes. nothing to do and like heroic you, actions nope and the first turn like is over really quickly for if if i go first it's over really quick <laughs> and i like this army because it's a puzzle for my opponent it's it does something it, it asks them the very interesting question of because this army has like 13 drops and i don't even pretend to put it in a small drop i know i'm not going to get to choose i make that your problem yes so what do you choose do you go first at an empty table and position yourself or do you let the cows go first and aim for the double because most people when they make a one drop army they give their opponent the first and they fish for the double go ahead what's your experience what if people when you're when you're not on the board in your experience did people go first or second not to humble brag this army has lost one game wow uh since the book came out i've played about Three at the RTT, two at the league, and I think about three more since then, two of them with you. Um, this army has lost a single game, and it was against Mr. Veach, Conan oh, himself. Mr. Conan Veach. Um, most people give me first, hoping to weather the storm. And 
I cannot overstate how hard those cows hit. It is obscene. They hit very hard. I just in general like going first because mm-hmm. I know I can get my five points and yeah. then let's just set up and see what happens. And, you know, there was some learning in the second game that, you know, I thought I'd bring in the Praetors. They could take the mortal wounds. But then you pulled Crondi away. Crondi lasted two turns that time. He did. I whiffed. The, I actually yes. connected with him successfully yes. turn one, but unfortunately couldn't kill him. Yeah. And there was that moment of panic where I went, oh, no, did I? <laughs> Is this it? Is this how it happens? But then I killed him next turn. So that worked out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So this, uh, yeah. So the next game should be really good. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. So to to finish your your question, Damon, I do find that most people give me the first because they hyperfixate on the second on mm-hmm. the double turn, and I find that usually this. So the beasts of chaos have currently been lauded as the bunker busters. If you build a castle like Lumineth Realm Lords, for example, or the new the new Seraphon book uh, is going to have a unholy castle it's lord croak is gonna break the game again (laughs) this is the third time in a row he's done this i I thought we learned our lesson by now um but beasts of chaos excel at breaking that bunker because one positioning the bunker is difficult because there's nothing on the table to position across from two it's incredibly long range damage has nothing to target you can have all the global mortal wounds you want there's nothing on the table to hurt and finally, being able to force my opponent to move units away it, it helps you pick that bunker apart piece by piece. Right. Places that are normally safe right up against the, the table edge for a character are suddenly incredibly dangerous yes. because Ungors can shoot them. Exactly. Yeah. Thought through all those scenarios. <laughs> and that's the thing is, is it's easy to, uh, to overthink against this army. And, and that analysis paralysis is part of its strength. Yes. Um, which is strange because I also feel kind of bad putting my opponent in that position. Yeah. I just find that when I do go second, that um, I I don't think I've ever got the double turn. And so I wouldn't go second just hoping for that dice roll to get the second turn. Fair enough. Or to go, yeah. So Because I know that the very first game I played against Conan, he asked me if I wanted to go first because you know of the drops and it just so happened I'd rolled. And I said, I'll go first. And he said, why? And then I told him why. He said, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes some people, when they're new, they might not know why they want to go first, but I totally knew why I wanted to go first. It's funny you mentioned that analysis paralysis. And, I mean, I've had a couple games where I just about needed an Ativan to get through the, the decision to deal with, do I go first or second? And Because I'm, uh, despite being a grizzled veteran of 20 years, <laughs> uh, I very much feel especially at the rate we've been playing, I really do feel like a, a new player in many respects and trying to come to grips with, because um, I, I, I never, like so many times I'd deploy, didn't care, whatever, throw my models down. And I think of that dude who steamroll, steamrolled me in uh, 2020 with the Slenish list in LVO. And he, I put my models down and he looked at me and he's like, are you okay? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh yeah. He's like, Just check it in with you. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, no, I'm good. Sh- sh- should I be worried about something? He's like, <laughs> like, this army's pretty fast. Good Samaritan. We call that a good Samaritan. <laughs> you know what? What you knew then in 2020 and what you know now, what a yeah. huge difference, dude. Big difference. Yeah, and I think that uh, player expression, which is a jargony way of saying what you do with an army, is also something important in that you should feel... 
you should bring your own flavor to an army and allow yourself to do things that might not be considered meta. Because the meta is just an agreement that a bunch of people on the internet decided backed up with statistics. It's an echo chamber. Why is this army constantly winning? Because everybody agreed that it's good. So a lot of people are playing it. So the army is going to do well because very skilled players are acknowledging its power because they talk amongst themselves. Um, which is, again, why I like armies that do weird and interesting things. Like we were going to talk about our Slaves to Darkness armies. You and I have two very different approaches to them. Um, you play a block of unkillable Nurgle knights, Chaos Chosen, and cultists. If only they were more unkillable. <laughs> <laughs> Those dang called proved that wrong. Yeah, they, they do that to a lot of units. They, <laughs> they, they're very humbling, the dang cold. Um, but the way I played my Slaves to Darkness, and this isn't to say that my way is better or worse than yours, it's just different, is I was enchanted when I read the spell that the Mark of Zinch grants Slaves to Darkness heroes. I feel like that was a pun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm proud of you for picking up on it. <laughs> um, I love the spell because the idea of that kind of mobility on an army that is famously easy to telegraph. A unit of Varengard is running at you. Gosh, I wonder what they're going to do. Uh, chariots are beelining for your infantry. I wonder what's going to happen. Yeah, that's scary. And so having the Mark of Zinch enable you to teleport a unit back to a wizard and that not count as a fallback enables all kinds of weird and interesting interactions. Uh, with a little bit of input from Conan, again, I have to give him credit, he... he he discredits himself by saying that he gives unhinged and ridiculous ideas that you shouldn't pay attention to. But there are kernels of wisdom in there in that he he's really, really good at finding patterns in places you wouldn't think to look. So he suggested I take the Gaunt Summoner, mm -hmm. specifically the Gaunt Summoner with the Tunnel Master Galician Champion trait. Mm -hmm. And I looked at the Gaunt Summoner and didn't understand what he was he was suggesting. And he goes, no, no, no. The Gaunt Summoner puts two, two units with the Mark of Zinch in the Silver Tower. Then, at the end of the movement phase, they pop out wholly with the nine of him, which is okay. Especially if he gets Alpha Struck off the table, you've suddenly lost whatever you put in the Silver Tower because they have right. no other way to enter the game. And he goes, you give him Tunnel Master, teleport him on an objective, and drop whatever's in the Silver Tower on there. And in my mind, I suddenly envisioned dropping a bunker of 20 Chaos Warriors and three Enlightened on an objective and looking at my opponent across the table and going, all right, move them. They're on yeah, your flank. Can't move them. You can't, you can kill them, but they take so much effort that they most people would say, yeah, they only move five inches. Forget it. I'm going to ignore them. You can't forget them when they're there. <laughs> but then the Mark of Zinch enables my exalted hero. Cause it's a Kabbalist army halfway across the table to take a peek around a corner, see them and snap his fingers and teleport them right back to his side. Um, and I still, I still really hesitated when I first played the army because I was still hyper fixated on the Mark of Corn doing damage. And then I realized, well, hang on, the power of the Chaos Knights is on the charge that get random damage, not the extra attacks. The Mark of Zinch lets you fall back. Demonic Power lets you charge 3d6. A 9-inch charge on 3d6 at the lowest to a 4? That's very doable. Yes. And so seeing that army in play definitely changed up how I interact with things. He was after, I think it was your game or he, he looked at that list with you. He was talking to me about the really trying to talk me into Zinch and um, <laughs> we've, we've heard how that goes, but uh, that's, I mean, I, I, I see it now 
um, and the, the the Gaunt Summoner with the the teleporting guys in. I get that. I I hadn't considered the teleporting uh, knights up to now. Um, me neither, to be totally honest with you. Until I saw that in action again, Kostroma let me proxy the army. Until I saw that in action, yeah. it just I couldn't wrap my brain around it. It felt good in theory. What was what's the um, sub faction that allows you to swap marks? Uh, that is Legion of the First Prince. Yeah, so he swore up and down that was the way to play. That was, and I said, oh, okay. Well, we had the uh, the big podcast the night before, so I'll give this a whirl. I don't think so, and I don't think so because the switching the mark you only get to do one unit. I wasn't, and that was maybe just me cashing on on Eye of the Gods enough to to make giving up, you know, minus one wound or plus one attack or run right. worth it. And and for the one unit I could maybe turn into a zinch, I was to to teleport or do whatever. If I got double turned, now suddenly I'm stuck with whatever the mark was that I picked to maybe be offensive. Maybe I picked Slanish because I needed to run or mm-hmm. Nurgle because I needed to weather. He was usually an offensive mark. Right. And now I'm stuck with an offensive mark for two turns. Yeah. When I'm on the defensive, corn does not help me when I'm getting you know, my face pushed in by a tree man. Right. And I think that that's the thing about Legion of the First Prince is it lends itself where, well, sorry, to Death Stars. Because you have the one or two units that you're going to focus on. You're going to know, okay, I have an undivided unit of, ch- of Chosen that I'm going to also give the Mark of Nurgle to so that they don't die. Buff them to the nines, send them out, hope for the best. Um, I cannot overstate how obscene Cabalists is turning every single exalted hero because I love exalted heroes they're one of my favorite characters in that book a 100 point guy with I think 5 wounds a 3 up save a 5 up ward amazing turning in a free eye of the gods roll table at the beginning of the game which ironically (laughs) in our game lent itself very quickly to me getting a demon prince which was very funny (laughs) that was funny turning them into characters and having everybody cast on a 3d6 while they're close together is so powerful like you couldn't even, you had Cronus uh, on the table yeah. and you couldn't even try to dispel half my casts because no. they were above a 12. Yeah, they were all above a 12. I just thought, well, there's no point in even rolling the dice. Maybe I'll just do it for fun. <laughs> yes. So, so now I guess we'll just wrap up here. Um, so David, we're on. We will pick a date and we will pick a battle plan. I will send you my list and then we will do a post-game podcast. And before David gets out of here, we got to do the nose to nose. Oh. Uh, the photo. Yeah, the photo. Okay. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> you gave us a very scared and like the what I thought, I thought you meant we had to do a video. We were going to do the video. Oh. Tell, yes. <laughs> Not Whoa. the nose to nose. The nose to nose. Yes, no, no. we can do that. We can do the nose to nose. Yes. All right. So I think after the end of this podcast, we do have a Path to Glory narrative that we have that yep. we'll be playing. So that's great. So um, thank you, David, for coming on today. And I'm looking forward to our game. And stay tuned, um, humble, great listeners. We will have a Path to Glory narrative. Dudes of Sigmar, in and out. After leaving the last battle with a great wealth of reward, we headed to the Realm Gate. The plan was to sneak through to the Realm of Shaman and the home of the Skyports. Before we got to the gate, we were beset by a chaos skeleton force. 
We drove the ship straight at the knights. As the writhing beast approached from the port side, hammering the foul-smelling knights with all we had, they took it all and then some. But fury and firepower won the fight. The battle may not have been over. Seeing the contorted leader of the pack in the open and the only thing between us and the gate, we went full steam ahead. The coward ran from the mighty guns of our frigate and we proceeded through the realm gate. We will reach the ports of our feller Duarden one way or another. And so it was that the dudes would continue their journey through the mortal realms, forging ahead with a passion for the next great story. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time, dudes.